Hello, everyone. Lee Arnold back with you for another edition of Country Music Conversations. Through the years, I've made many friendships within the country music community. But today's guest has a special place in my heart for two special reasons. First, I met him in 1965. And secondly, he comes from New Jersey, where I lived at the time. I'm referring to Eddie Rabbit, songwriter, singer, who also became a crossover artist whose popularity appealed to not only country fans, but pop fans as well. But before we start this conversation, here are a few words from our sponsor. Country Music Conversations with Lee Arnold's podcast is made possible by our sponsor, MarketSmith, Inc., the digital media agency that's been growing brands like Toomey, Shark Ninja, New Jersey Lottery, PSE&G, Blue Mercury Cosmetics, and Dick Sporting Goods. You know what makes this agency so good at what they do? Because simply being a marketing agency is no longer enough. Solution-based, problem-solving, and ever-evolving, they create enduring value for DTC and B2B brands by opening up and growing marketing channels. Their patented AI offerings, informed by human intelligence, allow them to act with agility and intellect. I was speaking with the CEO not too long ago, and she was saying they take on clients who know who they are, who want to grow, and clients that know what they want. These big brands choose MarketSmith because they want to merge with a partner who'll make them exceptional and an agency that will grow their revenue. Digital marketing is not easy, but MarketSmith, Inc. knows when to make the media dollars work hard for their clients. You have a brand you want to grow? Well, contact MarketSmith.com and tell them Lee Arnold sent you. We first met when he was barely in his 20s, working different jobs during the day, among which was being an aide at a mental hospital and another making Sundays at an ice cream shop and then driving a truck. At night, he played in the local honky-tonks, and after going home, he'd stay up half the night writing songs. I was a disc jockey at a local country station, and we spent a lot of time with each other. He would play me songs he had written, and I realized here was someone that was destined for fame. One night, I turned to him and said, Eddie, I can hear your songs being played on the radio, and you perform to huge audiences everywhere. But it's not going to happen in Jersey, unless you go to Nashville and pitch your songs to the music publishers and the record companies. So, with $1,000 in his guitar, he took a bus to Nashville to be discovered. He got a job as a staff writer with Hill and Range Music for a weekly sum of $37.50. His first night in Nashville, he took a bath, and he also wrote a song called Working My Way Up to the Bottom, which was recorded by Roy Drusky. Evenings would find Eddie at Wally's Clubhouse, where he socialized with other aspiring songwriters, one being Chris Christofferson. Eddie kept plugging away, and the break of breaks came in 1969 when Elvis Presley recorded Kentucky Rain, 
which became Elvis's 50th gold record. While having breakfast one morning and eating Captain Crunch, Eddie wrote Pure Love, which Ronnie Millsap took to number one in 1974. This led to a record contract with Elektra Records, and during his career, he also was with Warner Brothers, Capitol Records, RCA, and Universal Records. With his handsome good looks and superb writing, he built an incredible career with many number one hits. Rocky Mountain Music, Drinking My Baby Off My Mind, I Love a Rainy Night, Suspicions, and a host of other favorites. He even had a duet with Crystal Gale called You and I, and had another one with Juice Newton. Eddie always put his family first. He was a devoted husband to his wife Janine and sons Timmy and Tommy and daughter Demelza. Timmy was diagnosed at birth with a liver defect and he had a liver transplant, but the attempt failed, and he died in 1985. At that point, Eddie Rabbit put his career on hold. When he returned to performing, he felt his responsibility as an entertainer was to be a good role model. Eddie was an advocate for many charitable organizations, including the Special Olympics, Easter Seals, and the American Council on transplantation. He was a registered Republican, and he let Bob Dole use his song American Boy during his 1996 presidential campaign. Sadly, Eddie was diagnosed with lung cancer, and even after radiation treatments, he passed away on May 7, 1998. I'm happy to say I did more interviews through the years with Eddie than any other artist in country music. We had so many conversations that I truly had difficulty in picking one to share with you, since they were all really gems to me. Here now is the Carrot Kid, Eddie Rabbit. At the Country Radio Seminar, catching up with uh, my oldest and dearest friend, I might say, in country music, and I say that very proudly, at his, uh, at his brand-new garage studio, where many cuts have been made by various artists, albums, and demos, and also Briar Patch, Deb Dave Music, Eddie Rabbit. Hello, Lee. It's nice to see you again. It's been a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been a while. And what a year it's been. A brand new daddy with a cute little baby. Yes, he's about four months old now, and he's very healthy. I'm very proud. Uh, his name is Tommy, and uh, he has uh, brought the sunshine back into our you know lives. As you know, uh, a couple of years ago, we lost a two-year-old son, and Timmy, in a uh, liver transplant operation. So uh, uh, my wife and my four-year-old daughter, it was a little rough after that. Uh, you know, you never totally recover from something like that. And I like to, I was thinking of it as the sun never really came all the way up around our house, you know, until now, till the new baby. And now uh, my wife feels a lot better. Um, everything's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, everything's been great, too, record-wise. The past year has been a phenomenal year for you with the album rabbit tracks and quite a few hit singles both to each other uh gotta have you repetitive regret what next what's the next single or what's yeah the next? what's the next single the next single is uh, off the rabbit tracks album called when we make love a real nice tune I, I'm, I really like it i hope it does well and what i'm doing right now is uh i'm in my uh, as you know my writing mode i take off a few months every year to do nothing but just write and record 
because you can't really ride out on the road. It's it's real hard. You're you're in uh, Des Moines, Iowa one day. You're in Las Vegas the next. Time. I mean, a song you know, hard to write song when you're in two kind of atmospheres that are absolutely different like that. So um, I take this time off, and uh, like right now, we're sitting in my studio, uh, the garage. And uh, this is where I come every day and I write and, and, uh, and make the demos. And uh, at the end of March, we'll record uh, a new album for RCA. When We Make Love, the new single from the album, what about, what's it about the song that uh, intrigues you, that you feel is so special when you did it, why you picked it for the album? Because it's a nice story about how two people met in the beginning and, uh, and it goes through the years of... Uh, having kids and it talks about slamming screen doors and lunch boxes and things that i can relate to uh you know that really are what uh, the real love is all about you know the everyday home life kind of love you know and uh, it says when we make love i feel the power you give me and uh, and so i relate a lot to that i know we talked about it before but family is such a great priority in your life your family life your relationship with Timmy and Desmeralda and also Janine. I mean, that is paramount. You would give up. You, you, God only knows the greatest gift in the world that God has given you to create music that people love and love what you do as an artist, as a performer. But yet you would not trade, I guess, one minute of that for the precious relationship or one minute of time with a family because all this other stuff is just fluff. Well, it, it, it's, it is fluff in a way. I mean, I love what I do. Music's been in me since I uh, could ever think or, or say goo-goo or whatever. Uh, I've been very musical. But I think if, if the nucleus of your life isn't right, then nothing else around it's right. I mean, if, if the hub in your, in your tire on your bicycle is smashed, then the, the wheel don't go around. So uh, I love my family. I, I guess I got married kind of late and and uh, I've got, like I said, a five-year-old daughter, Demelza. And Why don't I, I always, I always screw up that name because it's such a unique name. I said Desmeralda, which like is in it. I like Desmeralda. Maybe she can change it. <laughs> Maybe the next one, next girl we have. Will, You're right, Demelza and Desmeralda. But, uh, but I, I think it's important, especially when you have children. You kind of see yourself uh, in your children uh, growing up, and uh, and uh, and I feel for that. I, I don't want to be away from them. Uh, I'm away from them. Uh, too much as it is from the road, but I try to get home as much as I can because uh, it's real precious, uh, little innocent lives like that, you know, uh, given to you uh, to bring up right and to take care of. And it's kind of a nutsy world out there today, you know. Uh, I, I want to make sure they think the right things. So uh, it's real important to me. I know it's kind of a, a interesting thing. It, it's pretty hard to choose which you would rather be, a writer or a singer, and you're both, because the writing portion is probably one of the most creative things a person is given the gift of writing a good song a hit song and god only knows that you've written so many for yourself and other people as well going back through the years when you first came to nashville and you really if you want to use an expression toughed it out here like many others have but had to have the the courage the conviction to stay with it there must have been times i know i mean it would not be human for anybody to say, oh, it's going to happen tomorrow, to get dejected, to say, give up, I'm going back to Jersey, whatever. But yet you, you stayed. I stayed because I really had nothing to go back to, really. You know, uh, what would I do? Go back. Uh, I love New Jersey and I love East Orange, but uh, if I went back there, I'd end up uh, doing something I probably hated the rest of my life. Uh, 
some some kind of job. I'd be singing on weekends uh, in some club. And, you know, it's funny. Maybe one of the things that kept me going is I remember a wonderful fellow named Joe Castle, who was an old timer, kind of beer belly. And he used to sing on weekends in some joint in Hoboken. Uh, and I remember him talking about the good old days when he traveled the road and he, he opened up for people like Hank Williams. And, you know, he had his own sort of fame going there. And it all came down after all those years to working in this joint, you know, I felt a little sorry for him in a way. Uh, it was kind of weird. And uh, I hoped that would never happen. And I didn't want to go back and just end up singing in joints the rest of my days. So, so the reason I stayed is I guess I had no other alternative in my mind. Um, so I know a lot of people, you know, I was only making thirty-seven fifty a week as a draw from a publishing company. A lot of people think it's toughing it out. And, you know, but at the time I never thought about it. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was in Nashville. I was around a lot of music people. I never thought of the money. I don't think of the money today, really, because I love what I do. As long as I have enough, you know, to keep my family and my, and my bills and my band paid and everything. Uh, I'm really not a money kind of a guy. I, I love what I do. Uh, I'm into my music. And um, I, it never felt like I was toughing it out then. When I look back on it now, I say, geez, I remember the mornings when I was eating clackers and skim milk and, <laughs> and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and three-day-old lasagna and stuff. Uh, at the time, I wasn't toughing it out. I was I was in it, and I was in something I loved, uh, waiting for it to happen, and I, somehow I knew it would happen. And if it didn't, I don't know, I'd still, still be here thinking it was going to happen tomorrow. You said you had an obsession in those days to write from the minute you got up to the minute you went to bed. You just It was an immense creative flow of just writing songs. Yeah, uh, the days when uh, when I was all by myself in this town, I had a nice little apartment, uh, paid $80 a month, and I did. I got up in the morning and had my coffee, turned on the tube, and picked up the guitar. And it, uh, I loved music so much that I just spent all day doing that, unless my friends stopped over and we wrote something together. But I wrote all the time. It was wonderful. I had a little machine tape recorder in the back room, was, and I used to put all my own harmonies, and I used to record all my own instruments on it. And then I'd play it all back, and I'd say, wow, it's like 20 guys playing there. And I just had an amazing amount of fun with it. Right. There was nothing tough about it. I, I thought then, you know. The Turning point in your career, when did it all turn around for you? What would you say made the difference when it all started to happen? You know, there's never any one real turning point, but uh, because they're all slow turns of yeah. the screw, you know, yeah. until finally you got it down. Uh, but one of the, I think one of the turning points has to be uh, the song Kentucky Rain, which was recorded by Elvis Presley. Thank God it was almost yours. <laughs> yeah, I almost recorded it. That might have went into no into oblivion. I went from near obscurity to complete oblivion, maybe. But uh, yeah, he recorded it, became his 50th gold record, and uh, that helped because uh, that 3750 a week was hard to live on, for one thing. But it also gave me a track record uh, in town. But the most important thing it did for me was to legitimize the fact that maybe I could make something out of this. Because I had had a few songs recorded before, but they were B-sides or album cuts, and they made about 12 cents. Now, I knew that I couldn't make a living like this. I mean, you can't build a life on that kind of uh, writing. But uh, once Elvis cut that song, it, it made me feel like, geez, I really am a songwriter. Uh, you know, I could be a big-time songwriter here. A big guy like that don't cut nobody's songs, I mean, or nothing songs. So I figured, geez, if he cuts it, I must, I must be starting to write great songs, or good songs, anyway. And so that was a big turning point for my mind. That, that made me think, you know, like we were talking before, there are times when you start to think maybe, uh, geez, maybe you'll never make it. What are you going to do if, if this don't happen? Because I, I didn't know what I was going to do. 
But when Elvis cut that song and then cut two more of my songs uh, about six months later, I started to feel like I was getting a grip on it and I was becoming a better songwriter. Mm. Ever since you, you came to town and when you first came to town, you, the great story you shared a while back was how you were sitting in the bathtub and uh, wrote the song for, later became a hit for Roy Dresky called Working, Working My Way Up to the bottom, <laughs> yeah. correct? Right. Now, how has your writing changed since then? How has it evolved, would you say? Are you still writing the same way? What have you learned since that point? Would you, would you compare that as an early Eddie Rabbit song you're proud of or an early Rabbit's, early Rabbit song that I was learning the songwriting craft oh, as I, opposed to suspicions and things of that nature? I definitely was learning the craft because, you know, you come to a town like Nashville, you know, back up in Jersey, I thought I was writing some great tunes. Of course, nobody was cutting them, and I wasn't close to Nashville to get them cut, but uh, I thought I was going to come to Nashville, and this was going to be real easy, you know. But uh, you learn when you get to Nashville that uh, that it's not so easy. There's a million songs on the streets every day, and uh, to really have the right one, uh, it takes a lot of time, a lot of practice, a lot of getting together with the other songwriters. Which you're going to be doing. Which I'm going to be doing. Uh, back in those days, Chris Christofferson, uh, uh, Chris Gantry, uh, Billy Swan, the fellow who had uh, yeah. I-, I Can Help. These guys were all just strumming the streets, uh, so to speak. Uh, and we were uh, learning from each other, really. Um, that's interesting you bring that up because the next uh, album I'm going to do, I'm getting together with people like Harlan Howard next week and uh, and Bob McDill and Dave Loggins for... For the people out there who don't know who these people are, they're some of the most famous songwriters in this business. And uh, it's sure an honor for me to uh, to be getting together with them to write. So the next album that I record in a couple of months ought to be unique in the fact that there'll be uh, some of the people I admire I'm going to write with. What's the easiest song you ever wrote in your life? The song that came just like that? Well, the, the first one that comes to mind is a song called Suspicions, which was written in five minutes. And it was literally... Literally written probably in four minutes, 10 seconds. As long as the song is, is as long as it took to write it. Uh, it happened in a studio, Hyder Studio in, in L.A. Uh, all the musicians went out to dinner. And uh, me and uh, David Malloy and a uh, p- keyboard player uh, and even Stevens were sitting back just goofing off on the piano a little bit. And uh, I heard a little melody. I said uh, to the engineer to make this short, uh, turn on the tape and let's save this. This is a cute melody. Maybe we'll write it later. In the meanwhile, just as the tape was being turned, the drummer way across the room sat down on the drums and put his headphones on and heard whatever we were playing in the keyboards in his headphones. He started playing drums to this little thumping beat. I'm singing into some scroungy microphone, some lyrics. Anyway, four minutes and 10 seconds later, I, I fell over because all the words to the song fell out of my mouth, stream of consciousness. Uh, I changed two words later when I put the vocal back on, the and party. And uh, and the Fender Rhodes piano that you hear on that record is the one that happened then. Wow. The drums that you hear happened right then and all the words except those two. Now, at the end of those four minutes and 10 seconds, I thought Pete, our engineer, had put on a little two track tape, you know. Uh, and I said, geez, I wish that was on the 24 track. Boy, the rest of the guys could come back and just put their parts on and this could be a monster. And I, I, I thought it wasn't on the 24, but the engineer pushed the button and said, it's on the 24, and I went, I jumped 10 feet in the air, and I said, all right. And so that's a real unique record. What's Janine's favorite song that you've written over the years? Is there one that she particularly holds dear? She's a, uh, that she's ever mentioned to you, saying, Eddie, I think that's your best work. She, uh, you know, she is, uh, 
I'll answer that in just a second. But she has she's real unique. She's not the type that goes around snapping her fingers to the beat of things. You know, she's uh I won't say uncoordinated or anything, but she's just not she's into, you know, softer music, mm -hmm. semi classical stuff and right. things. So she doesn't go around bopping all day. So but when she hears something, I tell you what, when she hears something that she likes, she's rarely wrong. My first number one record was a song called Drinking My Baby Off My Mind. It went number one across the board, as they say. I wouldn't have ever cut that if it wasn't for her suggesting that. Because really, when we were going in to do the album, she, I said, is there anything you remember that I wrote around here just in, you know, just in case she happened to like something that, that you think might be interesting to record? She said, well, there's that thing, that drinking my baby off whatever song. And I said, that one, that's as country as you can get. And that's as far as what she would like, as far from what she, I thought, would like than anything. She said, no, that's kind of nice. And I said, well, let me take it out and listen to it. I had it buried in a footlocker with a thousand other tapes. I listened to it. For the fun of it, I cut the song for her just because she liked it. I cut the song. It came out great. We put the song out. It was the first number one record we ever had. I gave her a big plaque <laughs> with all the charts from all the billboards and the trades and everything. And I said, baby, you're my song picker from right, from right now on. And uh, so I asked her again one time uh, when we were cutting the next album. I said, uh, anything you can remember that I've been writing recently? She said, what about that Rocky Mountain something or another song yours? Well, I'd been writing that song for three years, wow. literally three years, and I'd never finished it. I couldn't get a last verse on the song. So she mentioned it this night. This is before we were married. Uh, she mentioned it this night before she was going to her apartment. So she left. She drove back home to her place. I picked up the guitar about 1030. Inspired by what she said, I finished the song at uh, midnight the next morning was the first morning in the studio it was the first song i cut rocky mountain music it became the title of the album and our second uh, number one record um so uh and she's done that over and over again with many of them so there's a lot of songs that i think are her favorites i couldn't pick out one in particular right now i did write a song on my very first album uh, for her called sweet janine which i'm very proud of so uh yeah she's she's been great i don't know one particular one that she's uh, absolutely head over heels in love with uh, as much as the one she's picked over over the years, I know you're. It's a very difficult job for you, uh, and you know to write songs at times because we get writer's block, or there comes a time where nothing just comes. The creative juice, the flow, just stops, so to speak. I get writer's cramps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I get other cramps, but so I uh, take a little pampering and I go right on. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, folks, <laughs> but a bum. <laughs> but seriously, I know you, you're a fan of other writers because a lot of inspiration that you get as an artist and as a songwriter comes from other people in the business, you know, because you admire their work. You say, oh, God, if only I could have written that song. Is there one song that was written by somebody that you would kill to have written yourself when you heard it played in a demo or on the air or whatever? Jeez, you know, every time I hear a song like that, I say I should write this down because if someone ever asks me that question, I'll know it because I never remember things like that. But there's uh, there's a few songs out there. A song, Please Come to Boston, I thought was a, a great tune. A thing Don McLean wrote, which is probably not the type of tune we're talking about. A thing called Vincent. Oh, it's a, it's a masterpiece. That's a masterpiece. That's one of those type of things that a songwriter uh uh, like myself, would like to have written, you know. Eddie, that's like poetry. That reminds me of something like Christofferson would have been into yeah. at one point in his time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, geez, uh, if I had a few minutes, I, I could really think of uh, some tunes. But, um, hmm. That's all right. We'll come back to it. Last but not least, and time is going on, we're going to listen to some, some good new music of Eddie Rabbit's. What about the future? Uh, looking down the road, 1987, a few, is it going to be, 
you always like to improve your life or do something different, I would think. Uh, a little bit better or a little bit different than you did last year. You're going to be out on the road trudging around again nine months, working on the brand new album. What else is out there that you'd like to do that you haven't done? I want to go to Amelia Island for seven days and have a vacation. <laughs> we don't go on many vacations. So that's probably not the answer you're looking for either, but it's a great, quiet little ocean place. Where is it? Uh, in, uh, just about 20 miles out of Jacksonville, Florida. And it's kind of like, uh, I've never been to Hilton Head, but they say it's kind of like that kind of situation. It's, uh, it's real nice. Uh, you, you rent a condo there and the beaches, you know, you just spit out your window and it hits the beach, you know, so it's real close. And I take the kids down there and all. And that's nice. That, that to me, I'm, you know, I'm a Jersey boy. The Jersey shores, you know, are deep uh, ingrained in me as a, as a place to get away, a place to uh, ease your mind. So, uh, you know, hitting the shore, you know, which I haven't done in a long time. Uh, you know, we never go on vacations. We, we're, we're every place everyone goes on vacations in the country. I'm in L.A., I'm in Las Vegas, I'm in Chicago, I'm in New York. But they're really not, you know, I never think of them as vacations. I fly in, I do my work, I fly out, and I say, where were we? <laughs> you know, so uh, of all the things really I'm looking forward to is a week at the beach. Well, I hope, I know you'll get it with uh, Janine and the kids, and then I want to thank you for taking time out here in the beautiful studio. It really is neat. Your 24-track garage. I mean, this is class. This is a cozy little place. It's a nice place to write. It's not too classy. Now, let's not give them the wrong impression. It's just, you know, just enough to <laughs> to, to work in. But I, what I do want to say is uh, something that I forgot to say last year. But I want to say hello to all my old friends out there. Oh, great. I've got some old pickers that uh, have been around forever. You know, Walt Conklin, uh, Johnny Troy, uh, Whitey Murphy, uh, Kooky K. Cookie K, yeah, all those uh, those dear people that uh, that I love to see when I come to Jersey. Hi to you and all the rest that I, that I just ha haven't got time to think about right now because there were so many good people that uh, that helped me really when I was up there. And that's our conversation with Eddie Rabbit. I still miss his smile and our friendship and the many times we spent together. Next week on Country Music Conversations, our guest will be. Buck Owens, Lee Arnold here reminding you to stay safe and keep it country.